Hello and welcome to Say That, podcast where your questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago and joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald. Hello! Of Mission <laughs> USA. Hello! Feel pretty pretty good? Yeah. Glenn and Jane, his wife, have uh, have installed a new coffee maker. They've been doing some uh, some pretty serious battery of tests recently. Hello! <laughs> Caffeine! <laughs> Woohoo! Also joining us is Jed Brewer, the director of Mission USA Productions. Greetings. Joining us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. I'm here, and here's the thing. Right off the bat, I need to declare an emergency. Okay? What? It's well, an emergency. It's unprecedented. I, I'm always it's an emergency. It, hit me. Tell me. Well, here's the thing. I I was reluctant to really go off on this the last time we recorded a show, and I'm going to say that's basically out of total fear. Mm. Okay. But... Uh, now that everything is now that everything is, I was over, wondering what that guy in the leather duster was doing standing behind Lee. <laughs> I was feeling you're about to find out. That's good. <laughs> but now, oh, it's a now fear that something else over. Never mind. As you were, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> now that everything's over and everything's okay, I feel comfortable saying that I was really uncool with the fact that you guys were ready to kill me about over the concert if not enough people showed up. Here's what I'm saying, and I'm I'm going to answer these outrageous accusations. Answer them. Did, did 60 people show up to that concert? Yes. Did they pay? Yes. So did threatening Boom. to kill you work? Lee, That's not clear. Have 60 you paying can't. customers shows up to any of your previous CD release shows <laughs> at which no one threatened to kill you? Boom. Lee, diagnostic Evidence. questions. Diagnostic questions. Sir, are you alive right now? I am alive. It seems more like whining than I, emergency. Yeah, yeah, I don't Hold even. On. What is even? I think we found an effective, first of all, I want, innovative marketing strategy, and Lee's just trying to back off of it. You know what? I, right now, I'm trying to think of new things. Wow. That we wow. can say it, need to happen, or else Lee gets it. <laughs> I mean, Lee gets knocked out the box, dude. <laughs> And understand, we haven't even explored no, the different ways that Lee could die. Uh, uh, well, float something out there. I mean, I mean Lee's about to become the Kenny of this show. I'm just saying, let's let's say just for example, pick a number like 20 new people need to sign up for Bridgebox, or or, or we just choke Lee out. Okay, okay, we just choke him out. Okay. Well, wait, wait, wait. God will choke him out. Yes, I mean, yeah. that's you know, probably God yeah. moves in mysterious ways. Through Glenn. Now you can intervene while he's being choked, and right. you know, go ahead and sign up. We have we, we have operators standing by to take your Bridgebox subscription. Right. I mean, look, say that, listeners. Maybe you're okay with Lee slowly being deprived of life. Maybe that just doesn't bother you. Right. But if it does, perhaps you should sign up for Bridgebox. Well, you know sign what to up. Do. Here's what I'm saying, though: is I I do want to take a take a pause take an emergency timeout is it because this emergency isn't going the way you thought it would <laughs> well you no. expect to get a little more sympathy from the non-glenn chicago <laughs> here's what i'm saying to you is is i, I do want to take an emergency timeout and give a big shout out and thank you to our friends zach and noel who literally drove from nashville to knoxville to keep me breathing air Woo! Okay, that actually. Those of you who don't live in Tennessee, it's about a three and a half hour drive. That's not that's not a small thing. That's a heck of a it's, thing, man. It's not a small thing. It's a heck of a thing. And so, Zach, Noel, you guys are awesome. Now, the guys who are supposed to have my back in all circumstances, who are ready to off me 
that is on the other hand not as cool and i didn't speak up last time because i was just i just i didn't know what was going to happen if i protest are they just going to shoot me now am i sure. going to be tased sitting here recording whoa, the podcast whoa, whoa. i, don't I know think the record happen. will reflect no one said anything about shooting who's to say we've been using some particularly intentionally vague language that Glenn may have learned from people over the years at the day job that make us right. Im- immune to any prosecution, and that was slander. <laughs> like, for example, when I mentioned lead poisoning. That could sure, mean, that's a thing. That could mean all kinds of things, like heavy metal you know, in your pipes at the house or bullets. Well, look, <laughs> I, I always enjoy a good Jesus juke, so... If I recall correctly, I think we were threatening that Jesus would kill you. I mean, because that was the thing with Oral Roberts, is that the Lord was going to call him home if he didn't get the million dollars. So This needs to be repeated. Man's real name. Yeah, Oral Roberts, which you should not Google. There's a Christian university (laughs) in Alabama (laughs) called Oral Roberts University. But, 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 dude, the Lord, understand, Lee, we were against it from the start. I mean, this yeah. is the thing. Whoa. We're just humble servants. Hey, we don't like all that manipulation. We man. don't like all that violence. Dude, we're with you, man. We, right. we stand with you. When, you know, when the Lord made it clear he was going to take you home if you didn't have 60 people at the concert, <laughs> we were against it. We right, were, we're like, like, whoa. Whoa, Lord, that seems extreme. Yeah. But who can bring counsel to God? Exactly we right. Just did That's what right. was put before us. He said, you know, and then he's like, well, I just want Lee to make money. And right. we were like, good idea, Lord. Yeah. And then he said, of course, it's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> why, why is God an angry take British the holy hand grenade, <laughs> Brother See, Maynard. This is what I'm trying to say is. God's uh, always played by Eric. Idle. I don't. <laughs> Uh, you know, we don't on this show. We don't like all that that manipulation. But here's what we found out: it really works. And yeah. how? So now I think I mean, who it, are we to argue with the results? That's what I'm trying to say. Is you know, it worked so well. We got to go with the hot hand. Well, fellas. the thing to realize is, um, we don't want to do something seriously underhanded. Like I don't know, we could have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars just giving people tickets to Lee's show so that it looked like a lot of people were coming to his show. Right. And he got on some kind of best-selling concert list. Huh. But then, like, how would we ever be able to stand in front of people and be like, well, this is something we pulled off. It was was great, and I'm really impressive because I did this thing. Like, that'd be really hollow and kind of cheap yeah well just to make sure that i'm tracking with you matt because this is clearly a hypothetical i can't imagine anyone would do something certainly not anyone who would remain a christian celebrity because surely the wider world would see something like that and go we can't listen to this guy yeah it's kind of a shady deal so it'd be one thing and lee back me up here you know it'd be it'd be one thing to say if lee doesn't have 60 people at the concert the lord's going to call him home right that would be that would be one thing and you know it's crude but apparently effective right now again we were all all four of us again it um, oh, from yeah. the start sure. that would be one thing i mean again it's not something you want to have to see happen but the lord moves in mysterious ways right, he really right. does but it'd be oh, another thing word. entirely to just buy your way in in a, a fashion that was dishonest and and really making a game of a ranking system to just buy your way onto a bestseller list. I mean that would right. be quite another. Especially if people had given like let's say people had given us money and assumed we were going to like minister to people, right, or help the poor, 
or any right. of that kind of stuff. And we said, well, we're not going to tell them about it, but what we're going to do is spend that money so that we can make ourselves famous, therefore making more money for ourselves. Like, that'd be terrible. Yeah, That's true. it really would. I'm, I'm going to go to a dark place. Sure. So if we have, if we have to pull the rip card that's editing this out, we can do that. But I'm just thinking now, we've already broached a hypothetical, which no mega pastor in the Pacific Northwest would do. Sure. But let's call him Schmark. Sure. But what if someone were to do that and then they got called on it? And then they said, you know, we're just trying to reach more people. Right. We just want me to be famous and even richer so that we can do outreach to people who buy the non-Christians who buy Christian marriage books. Well, I think that's that's what uh, uh, this is a breakthrough. Yeah. Okay. We yeah. figured out the formula. The whole point is to be mega famous, y'all. Totally. Totally. I mean, how will we ever totes famous? You know what? I'm I've I'm yellow carding totes. <laughs> Don't make me red card you, okay? Totes red card. No, me. let me tell you what. I will red card you. And you will be out of the podcast, and we'll be playing a man down for the rest of the... Totes red card? Don't test me. Here's what I'm saying is, we're trying... You're pointing out there's a part of the Bible where Jesus says, whatever so your publicist does to the least of these publications, you've done to me. Yeah. This is what I'm saying is, look, here's the main thing we're trying to do with this podcast. Rule all podcasts. Sure. (laughs) Obviously. There's no point in doing it otherwise. Right. For Jesus. Right. And what we have to do in order to get those sweet, sweet podcast numbers is make ourselves as super celebrity famous as possible. Absolutely right. By whatever way we can, because the ends justify the means. I'm pretty sure that's in the Bible. Hey, yeah. If we have to threaten to knock Lee out the box where he's buying the dirt farm and pushing up daisies and sure. becoming worm food, that's sure. just what we have to do. Look, man, it's it's a hard world out there. It's dog uh, eat dog. Let me tell you what, Lee is only too happy to submit to the process to make sure that we get where we're going with this podcast. Absolutely. What, Lee, what do you think? This is unbelievable. I think that's a very good point, Lee, and I'm glad you're on board. I agree, yeah. That's a good, uh, good to hear Lee's perspective on that. So you're saying that we could, like, because all four of us are part of organizations, be they church or Mission USA, who... Uh, who raise money to do ministry. Right. And here we are doing ministry with that money like chumps. Right. We tell people, you know, it's not going to say, we'd like you to support Bridgebox or give or whatever so that we can uh, meet people up in Chicago, be people coming out of gangs, people coming out of jail, out of addiction, and help minister to them one-on-one, plug them into the local church, have a service for them. Yeah. Uh, Lee down there in Tennessee is saying, we'd love people to give to the church so we can keep that up and running, have a bunch of ministries to uh, different folks around the Oak Ridge area. Lee can do lots of cool music that goes around the world. He can meet with the youth. And we've all, for a varying amount of times, 10, 20 years, been taking that money and helping the people we said we are going to help. Right. And we're no more famous than when we started. That's true. But it turns out... We could have taken that money. You could just buy, you can write a book. Right. Buy, let's just pick out a number here, 11,000 copies of it. (laughs) Right. Through a very strongly worded, worked out uh, system with a company where you buy no more than 375 in the same state. Right. Because otherwise it triggers something. Which you get all this research in the Bible, it's in there. Sure. And you can just do that and then get on the best times, New York Times bestseller list. 
so that when you are not at your church on Sunday morning but doing paying speaking gigs other places, you can be billed as a New York Times bestseller hypothetically. Well, this sounds totally theoretical, but uh, fascinating. Yes. And I think uh, we need to get on this game because here's what I'm saying is um, people like being famous. Like, they, they sure. want it. Absolutely. People who are famous like it. Right. People who aren't famous want to be it. Absolutely. Uh, I don't know that I understand the appeal. Right. But based on everybody else wants it, I feel like I got to get in on that. Okay. You know what okay. I mean? Sure. It's like uh, like everybody would know you and then want to hang with you or something. Right. Well, it's everybody would think you're super great right. and you would have all the money. Right. And then later... At some indeterminate point down the road, you would do something for Jesus with all that fame and money. But the thing is, for now, it takes a lot. Of, apparently, it takes a lot of money—two hundred ten thousand dollars, maybe—to stay famous. So right. I'm going to focus. So we need to focus on the staying famous for a couple of decades, right? And then eventually, Jesus stuff. So what you're saying is, we got to work this podcast right. where it is. Come for the famous guys on the podcast. Stay for the Jesus. Stay for the Jesus. Eventually. We didn't get to the Jesus this week because we did a whole lot yeah. about it. Kind of did the whole podcast about our podcast vision five-year plan. Right, right. For growing, beginning a bigger podcasting building. Right. But I, next time you come and we'll, Jesus. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I think we've worked out, uh, you know, all the details. I think uh, Lee's emergency has highlighted some important uh, concerns there. Absolutely. I feel both better and yet inspired at the same time. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Lee, how do you feel? I feel like uh, dudes that are supposed to have your back will throw your butt under the bus so fast your head will be spinning. But with that, I'll declare emergency off. Lovely. Yeah. Well, I think as long as uh, Lee feels good about it, I feel good about it. Sure. Sure. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. I think I think we're all on the same page. Yeah, sure. it sounds like we're on the same page to me. You know, I think he's got some problems with some dudes. I don't know who that is. Yeah, we're going to have to be praying for those brothers, but, you know. Sounds terrible. In the meantime, I think we're all doing great. Yeah, let's totally. just move on. All right. Let's move on. One thing we were talking about there, you probably, if you've caught the last couple episodes, we do want to thank everybody from uh, various environs around the greater Tennessee area who came out to the Lee Younger CD release show last weekend, which was a huge Ooh. success. We all had a lot of fun. Our friends Brian and Clark, who are part of the band Southern Harmonic, uh, announced that they're starting a new thing with Bridgebox we're super excited about with the Bridgebox Labs. You'll be hearing some more about that going forth, but we know a lot of you guys um, listen to their version, which Lee and Jed helped them record of I Surrender All a couple months ago. kind of blew up on Tumblr, so we're really happy to have those guys as part of the Bridgebox family uh, as you know, Bridgebox, you can get sermons, songs, uh, writings, devotionals, lots of cool stuff. Only $8 a month, missionusa.com slash Bridgebox. And that money does actually go to not our fame plan, not yet, but actually we do use that to do th- do silly things like uh, put shoes on people's feet and clothes on their back and uh, uh, bus passes to job sites and all that kind of good stuff right here in Chicago. Or you can sign up for Mission... For Bridgebox, Lee Younger, MissionUSA.com slash BBLY. Same thing, $8 a month. Get a brand new song from Lee every month with uh, video accompanying uh, video, chord charts, lyrics, all sorts of good stuff, and some uh, goodies he has handpicked from previous Bridgeboxes. Or you can get both for $12 a month. Email me, Matt, at MissionUSA.com. All right, we're going to jump into our first question here. 
This came in anonymously to our Tumblr inbox. If you hang out with us all the way to the end, I will give you the addresses where you can get in touch with us. It says, how do we know if we love God? I really don't think I love God. I believe in my heart that Christ is Savior, and I'm definitely a Christian, but I don't know if I love God because I don't do what I'm supposed to do. I'm apathetic and unrepentant, and it seems like I don't give a crap half the time about him or myself or other people. I feel fake singing worship songs because I don't really believe what I'm saying. Lee, kick us off. Um, hey, thanks for writing this in and the honesty that you're writing in with. Um, the, the first thing that I would say about most of this question is that if basically any of us were honest, any of us could say, you got a point. Uh, you got a point. I, I, I know what that feels like. I know what this other part feels like. Uh, I know for myself and for a ton of my friends that, that I'm really close with, I know we've all gone through times and continue to where we don't do what we're supposed to. We don't feel anything. We aren't sorry for the stuff that we've done. And sometimes we don't, we don't care about the things that we're supposed to. And sometimes we feel fake when we're singing worship songs. Sometimes we're just really not feeling it. Sometimes we don't believe um, the things that we're saying when, you know, when we're, you know, quoting scripture, when we're talking about that. In other words, uh, you know, the, the symptoms that you're talking about here of, I don't think I love God. These are things that basically any Christian, when they're honest, would be able to say, I know how that feels. Um, I felt that way. I, I feel that way from time to time. Where you want to be, uh, you know, where you want to be cautious is when you find somebody who says, no, I always do what I'm supposed to. Oh, yeah. I, I never feel fake when I'm singing worship songs, and I always care about the things I'm supposed to, and I'm, I'm, I'm very, very excited all the time, and I'm never unrepentant, you know? And so I, I, think, I think one thing here is that, is that you should know that your symptoms are completely normal. Um, I'm saying symptoms just because it's, it's kind of like the things you would say if you were sitting in a doctor's office saying, I think I've got a secondary sinus infection. Here's what I'm, here's what I'm going through. What does this sound like? Does this sound like a sinus infection to you? So the thing that I would tell you on that is that, I mean, you know, I, I believe in Jesus too, and I believe he saved me, and, and I do love God, but I can't really prove that to you by, you know, the uh, consistency of my actions, I, I can't really prove that to you by the, the way that I feel when I'm in the middle of a worship service every time I'm in a worship service. Uh, and Jed can tell you that actually all, all the guys on this podcast have led worship to some degree or another, and we can all tell you that when a lot of times for, for, for guys that are leading worship, it's very difficult sometimes for us to get to the place emotionally where we're really feeling the songs. I mean... When I'm leading worship in a worship service, I'm thinking about the guy that's doing the slides. I'm thinking about the 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 person that's doing the drums behind me. Or you know, are we? Am I leading the rhythm or is he leading the rhythm? I'm thinking about this person that's right in, on the front row that's kind of a little distracted or falling asleep or something. I'm thinking about seven different things at once: the words I just sang, the words I sang, and the words I'm about to sing in a minute. And what do I want to say about this next song before it comes up? And it's very difficult sometimes to to get in that place of really focusing on those words, believing them, and, and feeling that worship. All, all of that to say, anybody that loves God feels the things that you're feeling sometimes. Um, I think that where we want to start on this, before I kind of hand it off to the other brothers, is 
you got to be careful about looking at some of these completely, completely normal human emotions for a person who's walking with God and say, well, this means I'm screwed. This means I don't love God. This means I'm lost. This means I'm out there in the dark because I don't do the things I should. I mean, even the Apostle Paul said, I hate the person that I am. I do the things that I hate. I don't do the things that I want to do. These are things that we can all identify with. I I don't have a good sense for how to tell you, you know, I, I, you know, it's, it, I feel like it would be, it would be a misstep for me to say, you do love God. You know, you, you do just, you know, muster it up. And I, I definitely don't want to come at that angle with you on this. I mainly want to just say, Hey, as far as people who love Jesus, I know that I felt all these things and you're not alone in feeling them. And it doesn't mean that you're nowhere. And that's the place. I think that's a good place for us to start out on this. Absolutely. Glenn. Yeah, well, uh, just to pick up where Lee's uh, leaving off, as you mentioned, uh, all of us have been involved in in worship. And, you know, I have heard a lot of worship songs in church that uh, really no one could honestly sing, if you know what I mean. You know, a lot of, I'll be there forever for you, Jesus, and never make any mistakes, you know, well, you know. That's, uh, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of lofty language in some of those worship songs. And, uh, you know, for the record, I, I think uh, it, it'd be cool to maybe mention that some of these words are kind of not matching with reality and, and would perpetuate uh, a sort of a, a feeling and a, and a mood of uh, insincerity and a lack of honesty in church. Uh, but you know, that, I think that's kind of a problem with worship music, not with you. Uh, you mentioned feeling apathetic and and sort of describing sort of this numb reaction to what you're you're dealing with. Uh, about ninety nine times out of a hundred, that's when you're you, you feel numb when you're tired of feeling bad. Yeah. And you if if you're feeling bad about all this stuff, um, I think that is likely to go back to lifestyle stuff now here's the thing uh i've been hearing this more and more uh often i think what you've probably heard is someone quoting you a verse that says uh you know if you love god you'll obey his commands and um uh therefore if you have something in your lifestyle that's wrong and bad then that means you don't love god uh that's not what that verse is trying to tell you and that's not the kind of message you should preach to anyone. I would never question someone's love for God. I would never, that, that just, eh, that's just a fundamentally uncool thing to do. Um, so I think we have to kind of get into our, our mindset of uh, what kind of person would try and tell us. We were talking, sort of joking about manipulation earlier in the show. The idea you would, you know, kind of look at someone who's got a, a lifestyle where they're doing stuff they shouldn't be doing, as Lee was pointing out, and saying, well, that means you don't love God, you know, whatever. Uh, what What's the next thought behind that? I mean, it, it, the only thing that's going to cause you to do is to feel miserable and feel more cut off from God, which would make you do more sin. So even as a manipulation, it's not even wisely applied. Um, the What that Bible verse is saying is increase your love for God and your lifestyle will eventually reflect uh, more holy and more righteous, and you'll be more like God. If you hang out with God, you'll be like God. That's what it's trying to say there. You know, the more that you love and the more that you invest in that relationship, the more transformation will inevitably take place. So don't 
pay attention to your lifestyle. Pay attention to the love and the intimacy of your relationship with God. That's clearly what that verse is trying to say. But if you are sort of numb and tired of feeling bad about something, uh, then my guess is that you're, you feel guilt over your lifestyle and you're saying that that means that you don't love God because someone else has told you that. Look, I, there, there are people in my life, I love them to death and I do wrong stuff around them all the time. I feel bad about it. I want to change it. I'm motivated to be transformed by that, but it's a process. It's not something that happens all at once. Last thing I'll point out, and I'll throw it over to Jed. You'll love God when you know how much he loves you. Yeah. Uh, that's what's lost in this whole deal. You, uh, you're, you've, someone preached to you something that caused you to assume, hey, God doesn't have love for me. And little by little, you realize, well, I, maybe I don't have love back for him because of the way that I'm living. When you know how much God loves you, you will be overwhelmed by that, and you'll feel that love in your own heart begin to flow. You'll be open to that. you receive that from God. Uh, when you receive love from God, you'll be able to give love back to him. Then your lifestyle will be transformed. But uh, if, you, if you only focus on lifestyle peace, this is where you end up, which is just run aground. Absolutely, Jed. Well, my friend, we really appreciate you writing in. And for what it's worth, I completely understand what you're describing. I've, I've been exactly where you're describing. And both Lee and, and Glenn have given you some real good counsel. just want to add kind of one final thing to it is I think that, first of all, you're actually not apathetic or unrepentant. If you were either of those things, you would not have taken the time to write this question into a spiritual advice website. Amen. So um, I, I think what you are is bored and uninterested. Um, and what you're bored with and what you're uninterested in is not God. It's the living out of Christianity as it's been uh, displayed to you. I'm just going to make a wild guess um, that you're involved in some kind of um, high school or college Christian group, and they have an image of what a Christian is supposed to be like, uh, what a Christian is supposed to do, what a Christian is supposed to be interested in, and that probably all of those things suck. Um, uh, their, their, their model is that a Christian should be like super really interested in theology, just really just wants to get into a really big, thick old book and just read it. Um, when I was in college, I knew people, and they were sweethearted people, but their idea of a good time on a Friday night was just to break out an acoustic guitar and just sing some praise songs together. That's just That was just what they did for fun. Th those who know me recognize there is nothing that could appeal to me less than that. Um, That's a, someone who writes and sings praise songs for a living. Dang, dude. Um, but my guess, my friend, is that people have given you some image of what a Christian is and what a Christian life is that just doesn't appeal to you. Um, maybe it has to do with theology and praise songs. Maybe it has to do with not looking at naughty stuff on the internet. But they've said, this is, this is what a Christian life is. This is what a Christian life looks like. And you should be all about that. And to the extent that you're not all about that, you are a, a dirty, dirty sinner. And it's just not true. Um, what you need is... Um, 
you need a version of Christianity. You need a version of the Christian life that fits you and that suits you. You need to not be trying to wear somebody else's clothes. If you were apathetic or unrepentant, you wouldn't have written into us. The fact you've done that says that you're not, but we need something that works for you. And here's the thing I'd like to suggest to you is find a way to serve somebody else. Um, here's, here's a secret I can tell you about the people that are studying theology and singing praise songs for fun. Most of them don't ever do anything to serve anybody else. Um, uh, you can draw your own conclusions on why that is, but I'm just telling you it tends to work out that way. If you want Christianity to come alive for you, find a way to go serve people. Um, that could be, um... Uh, uh, and people that are dealing with economic hardships. That could be people that are um, uh, immigrants in the country that you live in. That could be teen moms. Uh, that could be folks who don't have a place to live, people who are locked up. There's any number of things. But when we take the focus off of ourselves and all the stuff that we are not getting right and are getting wrong, and we just put it on serving somebody else, it changes things. It's just a guess, but if you're... Um, listening to worship music and going, I can't sing this because it's fake, I think you'd like something that's real. And when you start serving food and giving hugs to people who don't have any, that will seem real to you. And I think it'll start to change a lot of the aspects of your walk with the Lord. Yeah, it's absolutely right. One thing I would tackle in the end here that all these guys kind of touched on is that idea that there's a weird thing in uh, kind of Christian culture and especially pops up with younger folks, kind of college age, maybe even a little younger, of... They really, people really want there to be levels of Christianity. Like, I, they want that, like Glenn was talking about. They, you know, I'm not, I know I'm not supposed to judge and everybody's saved, but I really want to know how I'm a better Christian than everyone else. Yeah. And uh, as Jed pointed out, doing things like serving people and uh, taking risks and uh, really listening to the Lord would be like super hard. So we're just going to go by emotion. Yeah. I'm not joking when I say I've been at a, a event for a ministry that I love and that great people are involved in, but at uh, doing kind of a service project things, all nice people, and they were singing, I don't remember what it was, some very uh, kind of big, oh, there's a Christian uh, praise song called How He Loves Us, mm. which... Uh, Is the correct answer a lot? Apparently. The, as I understand the idea of that song, it's not really my type of music, but as I understand the song, uh, that's supposed to be like good news. <laughs> you know, God loves you. So that's right. all. And I'm not making a joke when I say there is a guy, bless his heart, in his chacos and his tank top, on his knees, beating his chest, as wow. if about to go into a Viking war with along to that song, because he just wanted everybody to know that he really got it, man. Wow. And uh, that's creepy, but there are some Christians who would look at that, and unfortunately some Christian leadership who look at that and go, man, that guy's just so down for the Lord. No. <laughs> no. He's got some, had some weird ideas along the way. Yeah. If you're a person who just uh, doesn't necessarily cry at the sermon, doesn't mean you didn't get it. Maybe you just process stuff a little different, a little more low-key. Several of the people you're listening to in this podcast are very much the same way. You don't, don't, uh, don't get it twisted that emo- running at an emotional red line all the time is what Christians do. That's what Christians who backslide do. Do you have one more thing? Yeah, well, you know, it reminds me of one quick thing, dude, which is, and I know this seems weird for you, but, bro, we want to encourage you to feel the freedom to call BS on stuff. <laughs> it, it's one thing to see the lyrics to a praise song on screen and say, look, that sounds pretty bible but I'm not feeling it. It's just hard for me to relate. That's fine, and we've all been there. Sure. It's another to see lyrics on screen and say, that's just crazy. Yeah. Uh, there was when I was in college. There was a praise song. The chorus began, "You're all I want." 
You're all I've ever needed. That's that's not true. Yeah, no one can honestly sing those words. Uh, uh, And understand, God God designed you and the world for that to not be true. Right. Um, You are supposed to want all kinds of things that are not God. You're just that's designed to be true. You're designed to need all kinds of things that are not God. Before the fall of of man, it was not good for man to be alone. Man needed a helpmate suitable for him. This is a praise song that is BS. It is. Biblically specious. Biblically specious. You have a responsibility, bro, in your walk and as a person to look at something like that and say, no, I'm not the problem here. Right. The, right, the right, song right, right. is the problem right. here. This this is not it. In the same way, and to know where that dividing line is, you know, Glenn said lifestyle stuff. Part of what you're dealing with, we're all going to guess, is, is porn and lust. Um, it's one thing if somebody comes to you and they say, hey, you shouldn't look at that stuff online because it's degrading and it takes advantage of people and it's not good for you. That's true. Sure. That's, but if they come to you and say, it's just dirty, it's nasty, and it's evil, and it's awful, and that's why you shouldn't look at it, that's a moment to say, you're trying to tell me that the naked human form is dirty and nasty and evil and awful? awful because right. I, I i'm gonna have to dis- differ with you there buddy because that's right. not in any way true right. i've seen it and it's great right. <laughs> you have to be your own um measure of when things have gone from maybe slightly overcooked but correct to simply out of bounds and inaccurate yeah. and when they've crossed that line you need to be clear you're not the problem here uh the, that idea that song that statement has become the problem Absolutely right. All right, we're going to move on to our next question here. It also came in anonymously to our Tumblr inbox. It says, how do we deal with our sex drive before we get married? And it is signed, Single Lady in Pain. Glenn, you want to kick us off? Oh, good. All the single ladies? Yes. Let me go first on all the sex ones. Thank you. Um, I'm going to pull that, just isolate that audio clip, and it's going to be my ringtone. Um, yes, call her. <laughs> uh, exactly as, as Jed was just talking about, here's the thing. Uh, with sex, especially uh, within Christianity, but I, th- I think this also happens in a larger culture. There's a there's a, a sense of uh, demonizing sex, and there's a sense of making it uh, naughty and uh, um, uh, forbidden and taboo and those kinds of things. Here's the thing about that: is uh, I really don't like that mentality. I don't like the idea of sex being part of a world of sort of stolen pleasures. I, I don't like mm. that idea of yeah. this is something I sneak off and the, the idea that pleasure is something I sneak off and, and get on my own sort of apart from God, apart from other people, apart from everything else. And it's a hidden secret stolen thing. That's bad uh, that in public I can, say yeah that's bad oh that's awful and then in private i'm into it yeah i hate that and i we got to get out of that okay here's the here's the first thing is to not demonize it to not make it a boogeyman to recognize sex feels good to everyone yeah i mean if, if if it doesn't we need medical help on that issue um uh, all of us like looking at naked bodies because that's the most beautiful thing God's created. So why not? Um, uh, and God made it for men and women who are married and in love to do with one another to be an important part of the intimacy of that relationship. Absolutely. All that's good. Everything I've just finished describing to you is good. I want you to see it as good. I want you to just say sex is good and it's wonderful and it's lovely. 
needs to be handled just right. But it's it's good. It's it's like saying you have a car, um, and uh, you know this is a good car. You you don't say, well, if you drive it on the sidewalk, you could kill someone. <laughs> Well, yes, you could do that, but that doesn't make it a bad car, and you're not supposed to do that, you know. Johnson, did you have some negative experiences with sidewalks in the past? Yeah, you know. Uh, why, why don't we just uh, 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 look at it from the standpoint, if we used it as intended, then, you know, uh, what have you. I want you to get into seeing sex as something that's beautiful in that sense when it's when it's done the right way but then it also could be something that's fun and something exciting that you're looking forward to a a good and exciting enjoyable part of your future i don't want it to be this thing that's forbidden that we're either sneaking off and doing or that we're sort of bitterly resenting that we don't get to do yet and all those kind of things second thing I, i would say behind that is know your boundaries uh, know how far is too far in terms of if you're in a dating relationship um, uh, or uh, it, even if you're outside of one, how, how much is uh, too much talking, thinking, acting, whatever on sex? Where, where are those boundaries? And God, if you go through that and pray about it, God might surprise you on some of that. Uh, there, there may be a little bit more stuff that's permissible than what you might think. And I think as, as a single person, if you're, if you're not in a relationship, or even if you're in the early stages of dating, let's say, God might say, you know what, let's find some advice books on sexual stuff. Let's start researching and understanding and learning about this side of uh, your life in a detached way that's not kind of part of whatever, so that when that part of your life is, the, you know, when the timing is right for that to happen, you'll have uh, some knowledge and some know-how on that and what have you. So, you know, at some parts of your life, that might be a little dangerous to get a little too deep into stuff that you're not going to be doing yet uh, or, you know, sort of longing for something that you won't be able to do. Uh, But the Lord might come in and say, no, now's a good time for you to start exploring this and understanding it and uh, learning about it. The final thing that I would say is to know your triggers. And the thing about any kind of uh, desire, anything that you're trying to control where a little is okay and a lot is not okay, is you have to know what are those things that trigger it to get out of control. So that might be your internet watching. That might be certain movies. It might be whatever. Time of day. Time of day, loneliness, stress, those kinds of things. Uh, the the thing we had and we had to recognize we're going to make mistakes on that. That's okay, uh, but we we want to learn from that. Why did I? You know, what was the thing that triggered this and that got it out of control? So that way we can go back through it and say, okay, I know that I'm going to be vulnerable at these times, and then I counteract that with something else. But to recognize that you're you're actually able to control this, that it's good stuff. Uh, that it's a pleasant part of your future that you should look forward to and 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 feel positive about. But if we if that desire gets way out of control, even if you're not giving into it, even if you're suppressing that thing, you're still going to be miserable from not having it. So I think it's about recognizing how do I keep that level of temptation down by not constantly being around my trigger. Absolutely, Jed. Um, I'm just going to tell you a couple quick things to build on what Glenn said. And these are all ripped off from a blog post Matt King did because um, uh, uh, it's important to me to give credit 
uh, when, wow. I'm, when I'm stealing from people. Wow. And I'm going to get us all fired, Brewer. And I'm, wow. I, I, so I just want everybody to know this is all stuff I'm just stealing straight from Matt. Thunder's coming. That's all I'm saying. Because I like to give credit. Wow. wow. Thunder is coming. <laughs> Will it be the thunder from down under? Stop it. No. <laughs> Answer the question. So, yes. So basically what I'm what I'm saying is uh, what what Matt said and it's absolutely true is that um you can you, you have enough uh, uh you know energy on this to uh, bring down a small elephant and that's as it should be you're designed to be that way and it's tough stuff to be a single person um who is uh 19 20 21 22 uh, years old and not have a good godly outlet for sexual energies that's a really tough place to be and and we're we're with you um it's we've got your back we're praying you up it's it's hard the best thing that you can do is to let all that energy energy um, prompt you to take steps in a direction that will be positive. So ultimately, of course, the, the big answer to this is to be married, um, is to find the right person, be in a married relationship, whereas Glenn said sex is not only an okay thing, but a beautiful thing and a right thing and, and uh, something that God wants to be going on regularly. And then the question we have to ask is, how do we work backwards from that? If I hope to someday be married, what do I do? What do I have to do to get there? What's what's the journey look like uh, to get to that destination? For some of the people who listen to this podcast, that might be going on a date for the very first time. Um, that might be the next step on that, and that's where you're at. That's fine. That's no problem. For other people where they have a little bit more dating history, it might be about looking at what are the things within me that need work before I'd be ready to be married to somebody. You know, what are the things, you know, and I'm not talking about like job and career stuff. I'm talking more about internal stuff like uh, insecurities and hangups. But wherever you at, you are at, there's a next step for you to take. Um, between now and being in that married relationship where, where sex is meant to be a part of it. And I think that this sexual energy can can be something that drives you to that. Uh, I don't know, Matt, if you brought this up in that post or not, but um, the idea behind fasting is that if you fast from food, the point is every time you feel hungry, that's supposed to uh, help you remember to pray about something. That's, that's actually the point of fasting. You can do the same thing here. Every time you feel horny... You can say, that's my drive. That, I, I know I need to go do that quiet time. I know I need to get out that book that has to do with whatever issue it is I'm working on. I'm going to go I'm gonna go do that. I'm going to let that drive me to something positive that will ultimately get me to where I'm going. And, and that demon will think twice about tempting you with lust if you do that every time. Oh, I understand. Uh, that, he's, he's not going to know what to do with that. Right, I mean, that right. just that threw a curveball. But this is hard stuff. We feel you. If you will... Um, if you will, A, decide not to demonize sex, like Glenn was saying, and instead let those urges be simply um, a reminder, it's time for me to work on my steps that will ultimately result, maybe it's years down the road, but down the road in me getting married where then sex is on the table, that is the most righteous thing you can possibly do, and you will get to where you're going with it. It may seem like it's taken a while, but you will get there. In the meantime, we love you and we believe in you. Absolutely, Lee. Yeah, I'm just gonna do. I'm just gonna talk about a couple things here, and they they both have to do with honesty and vulnerability, and um and just kind of picking up where these guys are leaving off right now today. What you need is you need some good single friends that you can talk to. Yeah, and the reason that I say that, and and I bet, I bet that at some level that sounds really obvious. I'm telling you right now. Like, people do not do this. 
that they do not get with their friends and talk honestly about their frustrations with their sexual desires. My my experience with uh, working with young people and, and just knowing the people that I do, the friends that I have at church, is that the statement I just made is especially true for women. That women do not uh, honestly open up to each other. Single women are not having, you know, the heart-to-heart, honest, vulnerable conversations about the struggles that they're having with lust and their sexual frustrations. They're just not having those conversations. Um, that not, not having honest conversations with friends who can, who can understand where you are um, is a terrible, terrible idea. <laughs> you need to have some friends that love Jesus, that love you, that you trust, that are in a similar situation with you, that you can be absolutely gut-level honest with about this deal, that you can talk about, like Glenn said, you can talk about your triggers, you can talk about, you can talk about where you tripped up, you can talk about the mistakes you've made. Here's what, here's what I guarantee you're going to find, just because I know from, from having so many awesome friends in my life that I can talk honestly about you know, my own struggles with over the years, is something that when you start to look at yourself and you start to develop these strategies and you start to try to figure out what your triggers are, some of them are going to feel so stupid to you. You're going to feel, you're going to feel like, wow, that is, this thing about me is the dumbest thing in the world. No one in the world would ever be able to understand this. I must be the freakiest freak that ever freaked out. And then you have a friend that you're honest and vulnerable with. And then one of you has the guts to say, so sometimes I go through this. And they go, you too? Yeah. And all of a sudden yeah. you realize, yep. holy cow, I'm not a freak. There's people just like me. You have got to find some friends that you can be honest with about this. And for some reason, and this is hard for dudes, but for some reason, and I don't know why, this is even harder for women to be honest and vulnerable about specifically, I'm not talking about the fact that, you know, we've got some lust that we struggle with, whatever. I'm talking about specifically, this is how I'm struggling in the area of, of being frustrated sexually with the things I cannot do that I want to be doing right now. The other thing that I would say, and I bet this hasn't occurred to you, but I'm telling you it's in the Bible, okay, is you need to find an older woman who is married and you need to invite her to coffee, invite her to lunch, and say, I will pay for your you know, salad at the coffee shop if we can have lunch together. And here's what I want to ask you. If you could go back in time to when you weren't married, now that you know what you know having been married, what didn't you know that you wish you knew about your sex life? Yeah. What... Uh, I, I don't even know what to ask. I'm saying you've been married for a while. You got this great marriage. You got a sex life that you're happy with, that you're growing in, all that kind of stuff. What, you know, if you could go back in time and tell yourself one thing before you were sexually active or when you were sexually frustrated, what's the one thing that you would tell yourself? Or what are the 10 things that you would tell yourself? The Bible talks about this, that the, let the older women teach the younger women so that they know how to be devoted to, to, to their husbands. So this is, this is a very, very biblical, very basic thing. But very few people do this. Very few people go to godly married women and say, what don't I know? 
I mean, I'm not where you are yet, so I don't even know what I don't know. But I'm asking you, and I'm putting a welcome mat on my forehead. I'm saying to here, you are welcome here. Tell me the things that I need to know from your experience. Uh, here's what I'm saying is, the stuff that, the, that that woman, that godly woman with the good marriage, the stuff that she would tell you, you would never have thought of it. You would never have thought that was the thing that you should have known. But I guarantee you, it's the kind of thing that Glenn and Jed are talking about where when, when, when it is go time, when you are married, you're in that relationship, it's going to change the game for you. And you're going to be so far ahead of the game because you got some great advice from somebody who knows what they're talking about. It's a great point. All right, we're moving on to our last question here. It came into our Tumblr. It says, I've loved Jesus for a while now. I've heard his voice and seen him work, and I've been passionate about things like grace and redemption, but I've also always been very good. Over the last year, I made some mistakes with guys, but brushed it under the rug and jumped back into ministry. Now, in trying to deal with it, I feel like a fake, and grace seems like a cool idea for everyone else, but I just can't grasp it for me. Any advice? Jed, can you start us off? I can. Darling, thank you very much for writing into us. We appreciate you being honest with us and keeping it real. I think that when we struggle with the idea of forgiving ourselves, I think it's because we don't understand why we did what we did. Um, there's, there's actually an old French saying that says, to understand all is to forgive all. And it's true that when we understand why people did the things that they did, um, it's way, way easier to forgive them. In fact, when we understand why people did the things they did, we're kind of a jerk if we won't forgive them at that point, because we can we can put ourselves in their shoes and say, oh, heck, I, I probably would have done the same thing if I were, if I were you. Um, and it's true with ourselves, too, um, that when we have a real good understanding of why we did the things that we did, um, it's a lot easier to accept that sense of not only grace from the Lord, but but grace from ourselves, to, to let it go and, and to not beat up on ourselves. I say that to tell you that something that gets circulated in church a lot is the idea that, you know, um, sin is just bad and evil, and people do it because they're bad and evil, and they love bad, evil things, and it's just a lot of badness and evilness just... You know, which is brewing and evil, but that's actually not true. Here's how sin actually works. People make the best decisions they can based on what is before them. When people make a decision, there is some way in which it feels to them like the best decision they could make in that moment. Now, they can be wrong about that, and they frequently are, but um, people consistently are making what seems to them like the best decision they're capable of making. They may be weighing certain aspects of that analysis way, way wrong. There, there may be things that they're leaving out. There may be stuff um, that they're thinking of in, an, in a weird way. But in the stew of their brain, this seemed like a good call to them. It's true in my life. It's true in all of our lives. So for you, um, you made some mistakes with guys. The thing that I, I think you owe it to yourself to look at is, why did you do that? And not why in a sense of, you know, explain your sinful behavior, but you were in a moment, um, and I'm assuming you're talking about taking things physically farther than you wanted to. Um, why, why did you do that? Not with judgment, not with, you know, explain your wickedness to the world, but, you know, um, you had a moment where um, you could go farther physically than you would really want to or not, um, what was driving you to take it farther forward? Because two things will happen when you begin to, to understand that. And maybe the answer is, I was lonely, 
and this uh, uh, feels like it would help with some of that loneliness. Maybe the answer is, you know, it just felt like it was time for something to be nice for me. I'm always going around taking care of everybody else's business, and it was time for something nice to happen for me, and this felt like that might be something nice for me. Whatever it is, when you start to answer the question of why you went the way you went, two things will occur off of that. The first is, again, you will find it dramatically easier to accept grace for yourself and accept forgiveness for yourself. It's, I just promise you that's, that's the case. But the second thing that will happen is you'll have a way, way better idea of how to not fall into that same trap again. A temptation that you don't understand is one you're doomed to repeat. That's a guarantee every time. If you don't understand why you fell prey to something, you will fall prey to it again every time. Most people feel reluctant to look at this stuff because they're ashamed. Um, they, you know, it's just, it feels so naughty and so evil. And so, um, you know, they'd rather just not look at it. They'd rather just kind of try and, as you say, sweep it under the rug and move on. But that's the wrong approach. You don't have anything to be ashamed of. You're a young person. Um, you know, th- you, you made some, some decisions you later look back on. Every young person on the planet has done that. We've, we've all done that. The best, holiest thing you can possibly do now is take a good long look at why did you do what you did not in a judgmental sense of just what led to it what made it seem like the right decision for you in that moment both so that you can forgive yourself and you can know how to move forward without falling back in that same thing totally lee well i love jed's answer on that and the funny thing i'm going to say something that doesn't to you it's it's not going to sound right but i'm trust me it's totally true right now you probably feel like I'm going backwards in my walk with Jesus, but you're not. You're actually progressing. Yep. You're actually going further. And I'm going to explain that because I know it feels like you feel like, well, I'm backsliding. I'm, I'm getting worse at this Jesus thing. No, you're actually getting closer to him. And the reason is because you are involved in something that we all do. Everybody that knows Jesus does this progressively through the rest of our lives, which is the simple message of the good news, that simple message of the gospel, which is it's a very, very simple message. What it has to do is it has to go deeper and deeper into your brain, into your heart for the rest of your life. So when you first heard about the love of Jesus, like, you know, you think about people that believed in Jesus when they're little kids and they understand it and it, to the, to the level of their understanding, they do believe Jesus died to save me. Okay, well, they haven't really done a whole lot yet. So they think, well, that's great, but, you know, I mean, I'm all, I am pretty awesome. And then they, you know, and then they get into middle school and high school, and they're walking with Jesus and everything, and they're looking at other people messing up, and they're thinking, you know, some of these things that, that other people fall prey to, that's just not my thing. I'm just not tempted in that area until the right thing comes along. And then all of a sudden, it seems like a great idea, like Jed was saying. And so all of a sudden, you find out, I'm not immune to that thing. Well, would Jesus still want me? And then, you know, the gospel breaks through, and you've got to believe that at a deeper level, because now the gospel has broken through to a deeper part of who you are. Here's the thing. For the rest of your life, this is going to happen to you. Uh, When you get married one day, what you're going to find out is, and this this is what we all find out, you're going to find out I am the most selfish person who has ever lived on the face of the planet. And when, and and through the process of being, and your spouse is going to find out the same thing too. And it is a painful, humility is painful and it is hard. It is hard to find out these things about yourself. The farther you go in your life, the more 
funkiness you uncover. And then the gospel message goes down deeper and you find grace there too. There's a great verse in Deuteronomy chapter, I think it's in chapter 29. I think it's Deuteronomy 29, 33. And somebody can fact check this, but it says underneath are the everlasting arms. And it's the deal is no matter how far down you go, Jesus's grace is down deeper underneath it. No matter how far down you go, he's underneath there. What you find for the rest of your life is in areas that you thought you were immune, you're still a charity case. In areas you thought you were awesome, you're still a beggar on the street. And it's hard and it's difficult. But what's happening is you think I'm getting worse, but all you're doing is really uncovering the real you. And you're just getting closer and closer to Jesus because he's the good news is going down at that level and saving you. And now going down at this level and saving you. This isn't bad news. This is good news if you can handle it. The more honestly you can look at yourself and find out, I'm a wreck, I'm a failure, I'm, I, I've got frailty down in every little crack and fissure and everything, and the grace of Jesus still wants to go down there. He's underneath are the le- everlasting arms. He's still going down farther. This is a process you're going to do for the rest of your life. It's going gonna, it's gonna to happen again when you have kids. It's going to happen again when the money runs out and you freak out. All, all these things are going to be happening for the rest of your life, and the message just goes deeper and deeper and deeper and it feels like you're going farther but you're getting closer to him amen amen glenn yeah i like all this stuff we're hearing on this i I think you're you're getting some really smart responses here and you know i just listening to these guys uh describe this stuff it really has me thinking uh whether we view christianity as an essentially a public thing that's lived out publicly and that has some things that happen in private with it occasionally off to the side, Uh, but by volume and by intent, that's a lot less, you know, is it essentially public lived out in public and it has a few private little bits and pieces or is it essentially a private thing where it's really you and God, and that's the, the, the substance of it all. That's where it lives and breathes. That's where it thrives. That's where it has its life. Um, and the public uh, part of that is to get some basic encouragement and feeding going in and get some basic encouragement and feeding going out to other people. You know, to have people that build into you and then people that you build into, uh, but that if you lost a critical amount of that private one-on-one time with God, that you would have problems and that would be a crisis and whatever. I think uh, a lot of us, and I, and I think including uh, the author of this question here, uh, I think we get into thinking it's a public thing. This is, this is of course, we have a public element to it. That's you know, and that's right for us to fellowship with one another, to uh, uh, witness to one another, and encourage one another. But at, at the end of the day, I think you're you're you have this mentality of you know what? Yeah, I sin. Uh, but here's the thing: if I do that privately, and nobody knows about it publicly, 
It's like one of those Zen riddles, you know. If I if 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 I sin in in the forest and no one's there to hear it, <laughs> is it really a sin? You know, uh, that's not that's not uh, how this works. I mean, uh, you, you, what you're trying to do is you have this private life uh, stuff that's messed up and this public perception that's way higher. That's where the the tension and the the dissonance is coming in at. Uh, so. The solution is to rid yourself of all that. You know, the, the, the solution is to be able to find a measure of honesty uh, in, your, in the public living out of your faith, to be able to say, you know, this is, this is uh, I am not a perfect person. You know, you're talking about here in this, in this thing, I've been passionate about grace, uh, but I've you know, made mistakes, brushed it under the rug, you know, and and she says, you know, I've been very good, and and with quotations around that, showing that you know she recognizes, okay, this is, um, I, again, I'm perceived as being good, uh, but I, you know, I feel like a fake, and grace seems like a cool idea for everyone else. So there's this problem with grace. Well, here's the problem that we 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 have with grace. You have to admit that you got a problem yeah. in order to receive the grace. And now you're admitting to us you've got a problem. You're, I'm sure you're admitting before God that you have a problem. But to everybody else, you're acting like you don't. So, therefore, they're treating you like you don't. And they're trying to act like they don't have problems either back at you. This is a, I'm describing a completely insane situation at this point. Uh, and everybody's trying to fake everybody else out. Uh, but they, th- that's a problem we have with grace is we know that, that they're, they're were projecting a front where – we're sort of living out a, a mentality of I don't need to be forgiven because I'm not doing anything wrong. Yeah. And when you know that that's not the truth of things, that's where the grace part gets messed up. So, uh, yeah, I think th- the, the bottom line on that is ministry is done by imperfect people to imperfect people. Uh, the, if, you ask, if you ask me to preach, if you ask me to answer questions like this, on the podcast or on the blog, what I'm giving you is d- comes directly from my individual personal relationship with God. That's where I learned this stuff. That's where I figured it out. That's how I know to give it to you. That's it's, it's a function of that. And it's a function of me wrestling with God and my desire to do sinful stuff all the time. And, uh, he wants me to not. And that we figure out stuff off of that. And that's what I'm sharing with you. Uh, the idea that I'm going to minister to someone while pretending to not have these desires and not have these problems, I don't know at all how you do that. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know how that's quality ministry either. Ministry is done by imperfect people to imperfect people. It's about admitting that, copying to that, and saying, hey, I got struggles same as you. Here's what I learned based on my mistakes that I want to share with you. That's a great point. All right, thanks for listening. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com or thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. If you leave us a Tumblr message want to make sure it gets on the podcast, mention that in the message. Uh, remember, you can sign up for Bridgebox, $8 a month, missionusa.com, slash Bridgebox. If you want both Bridgebox and the special Lee Younger Bridgebox, $12 a month, email me, Matt, at missionusa.com. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Keep listening or Lee gets it. Ha, 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 ha